Welcome to Pure Nonfiction, the podcast interviewing documentary filmmakers. I'm Tom Powers, the documentary programmer for the Toronto International Film Festival and artistic director of Doc NYC. On this episode, director Allison Clayman and producer Marie Therese Giergis discuss their new documentary, The Brink. In the film, Allison follows Steve Bannon through the year of 2018, after he was fired from Trump's White House and fired from Breitbart News and lost the support of his billionaire backers, the Mercers. But Bannon didn't slow down. He went looking for new financial backers and took his nationalist ideas abroad. We watch him meet with right-wing leaders from the United Kingdom, France, Italy, and elsewhere to start a new group he calls The Movement. We helped knit together this populist nationalist movement throughout the world. Because guys in Egypt are coming to me, the Modi's guys in India, Dutarte, you know, and, and we get Orban and, and even thing, and we're somehow some sort of convening authority. Producer Marie Therese once worked with Bannon in an earlier chapter of their careers. Fifteen years ago, Bannon was the CEO of American Vantage Media that bought the art house distribution company Wellspring, where Marie Therese worked. She experienced his brusque management style that we witness in the film. Do I have to change your nappy and powder your bottom? Hey, what am I going to do, text him every hour? Yes. Marie Therese secured the access to Bannon and picked Allison as the director. Allison's previous documentary, Ai Weiwei, Never Sorry, about the dissident Chinese artist, took a similar observational approach. For covering Bannon, Allison took advice from a Washington, D.C. journalist. He told me that, um, you know, everyone in D.C. likes to, you know, think that their life is house of cards, but it's really Veep. Um, So I did have this in my head, and then when I was in this world, and especially seeing this team and organization, I was like, wow, this is going to be funny, too, and I think to capture the behind the scenes, because it is not just the bumbling, but also the feelings of self-importance, the naked you know, desire for power and status, all of that. Bannon has a disarming bonhomie. He seems to enjoy debating liberal journalists. In the film, we sometimes hear Allison ask pointed questions from behind the camera. She also captures him clashing with others. Guardian reporter Paul Lewis accuses Bannon of using anti-Semitic dog whistles with references to globalism and George Soros. You can't possibly believe those are dog whistles. Hmm? You can't possibly believe those are dog whistles. Do you know, I think you, um, I genuinely don't think you could not believe that they are. Oh my God, come on, And I I don't sort of think it's a trivial sort of jokey thing and you do the sort of smirk and it's sort of uncomfortable for me because it's Uh it's serious. Oh, I did, but I think... It's a serious, offensive dog whistle. Oh my, I I, I think... think You know it's Steve. No, I think you're totally wrong on that. You know you're wrong. But we can talk about it. Last week, Allison and Marie Therese came to IFC Center for a sneak preview of The Brink. The night was hosted by Pure Nonfiction's executive producer, Rafaela Nehausen. So everybody get comfortable because there is a lot to talk about. Rafaela asked Marie Therese to explain how she first came to know Steve Bannon. So about 15 years ago... I was working at an art house film distribution company in New York, and Steve Bannon put together a group of people who bought the company. 
and um, he became my boss uh, for about three years. And uh, I always describe it as kind of like the best of times, the worst of times. He, as you see in the film, you know, he he was that guy yelling and screaming and and pretty abusive and erratic and impossible. Um, but you know, uh, he, he also sort of supported some of our most successful and high-profile films. And and uh, for me personally, in many ways, you know, he was he was horrible, but he was also good to me, or he at least saw my potential and gave me, you know, gave me some freedom and some power to kind of grow professionally, et cetera. So I had, you know, mixed feelings about him, but I had, I definitely had some positive feelings about him. And uh, I stayed in touch with him, you know, for a couple of years after I, after the company closed and, um, and then lost touch and sort of also kind of withdrew because he was increasingly uh, getting involved with the Tea Party and increasingly far-right politics, which I did not share, and there was just no natural connection anymore, really. And uh, and then, you know, like everybody, I woke up to the news, or actually I was awake one night in Los Angeles uh, to see that he had joined the, the Trump, uh, administ- not the administration, but the campaign. And uh, I had not been in touch with him for years at that point, but it, ca- or, you know, it came as a great shock to me. I don't, maybe it shouldn't have, but it did, and I was... Uh, really not a fan of Trump, to put it mildly, and I was really angry and disturbed that Steve was doing this work, and I, um, the next morning I wrote him a letter, I had his email address, I wrote him a letter basically expressing how angry and disturbed I was, and and uh, I don't know what I was thinking, I mean, I was like urging him to quit, it was ridiculous, but anyway, um, he wrote back to my surprise, and he was very polite, and uh, that began a kind of correspondence over the next months leading you know, into his time in the White House in which I would send pretty scathing emails and text messages just uh, you know, saying pretty rude and, and nasty things to him and about what he was doing. And uh, he would always write back again and he was always polite. And, and, um, and then I, at the same time, I was watching him explode you know, on the national stage. You couldn't go any place if everyone remembers. You couldn't walk down the street without seeing his face. And, I felt that I was watching him being depicted in a, in a way that I felt was in some ways inaccurate and in some ways quite dangerous. Um, you know, he was being depicted right on SNL as Darth Vader. He was he, the evil genius, mastermind, death, you know, death himself. Um, and what I knew was, was A, that while he is, you know, a, a very intelligent man, no doubt, but that I didn't know him to be... Um, a mastermind, really, of, of of anything. I don't. That's not really how he he works. And I'm not. I'm not even being mean. It's just the truth that I observed. I felt that the the description was giving him a lot of power and was actually a description and and that he would a depiction. I should say that he loved even without talking to him about it. I knew he would love it and that he was actually getting fueled by that image. At the same time, I also knew him, and I think you've seen the film, to be a very charismatic guy when he wanted to be or when he could be, to be funny, um, charming, and that those things were also sources of his power and his influence, and that you know this was these were not things that you were seeing at all in the media, and um, to, to to sort of underestimate that was also to kind of at the same time underestimate him. So I felt that he was being both, you know, over. Uh, given too much power and also sort of being underestimated in certain ways. And then I just, I, I didn't know what to do with this knowledge that I had and also this this relationship and, and my frustration. And then one day I just woke up and I work in documentary, I produce documentaries and I said 
to myself, you know, I could, I could make a documentary about him. And I asked him, I reached out and I asked him and he was still in the White House and he, he wrote back and said, no way, you'll destroy me. Because he knew, you know, how I'd felt for months. And, uh, and then I just kept asking, I asked a few more times and um, I would just say, you know, look, I, I'm, you know how I feel about what you're doing, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that the film will be a, some sort of hagiography, but I promise that it'll be intelligent, you know, it'll be a good film, I'll, I'll bring in a really good filmmaker. And the fourth time, I think, he wrote back to my surprise and, and, and just said, I'll do it. And he was still in the White House, and then I just thought, like, oh, shit, now, we got, <laughs> now I've got to do this. But, um, and then I, I pretty much immediately asked Allison um, if she wanted to direct the film. And Allison, what was your reaction when Marie Tris calls you and asks you if you want to direct a film about Bannon? So I kind of just said yes, <laughs> um, which I then spent, you know, 13 plus months sort of being like, why did I just say yes? Um, but uh, meaning like, let's interrogate that. Let's have a good reason, you know, why say yes. Um, but I did say, I, you know, I would like to, you know, like my, my sort of one stipulation, which was a big one, was like, I need to meet him and see what he's like. He w hadn't really done any television, like long format interviews, a lot of the stuff that's out there now, you know, at that point, I guess if I listened to like Breitbart Radio, I realized I could have, you know, known what he a little bit sounded like, but I really didn't know what he was like in person. I just had that image that Marie Therese just described. Um, I felt like the opportunity would be something where I would, you know, I immediately understood this has to be verite. This is about an opportunity to go inside uh, to be exposed to a whole world and a whole, you know, worldview, um, but also to see how he operates, what he's interested in doing next. You know, to me, the fact that it was going to be able to see things unfold in real time, we didn't know where it was going to go. Again, it started when she called me, he was still in the White House. Um, but then even when it became that he was leaving, it was a really even bigger question, you know, what is he going to do next? Um, and I felt like it was an entree into a bigger world, but I needed to know that he was a good character, so to speak. Like, A, could I, did I want to spend the time, you know, watching him and keeping him in focus in my little monitor? <laughs> um, and could he carry a film? And we went in September of 2017, and that was the first time I met him, you know, not, not filming, just an introduction. And he, like, walked into the room, and I really swear, like, the first 10 seconds, I was like, oh, man, okay, yes, he is a good character, he's gonna say some shit, like this is, I think this is gonna be good, because I really didn't expect from the get-go, you know, what I encountered. And were there any stipulations set up? Because I can imagine he's in the White House, he's extremely controversial, he's very well known, you've made a film about Ai Weiwei, I mean, how did that whole thing get set up? Were there any limits imposed, anything? No, there were no limits, and that was something I said up front in the first emails. I said, you know, the, whoever the director is, that person will have creative control, um, I want a director to, to, to follow you for a period of time, and there can be no limits, and, and there weren't. I mean, it took us, we, we were actually filming, I mean, I'm saying this to a bunch of filmmakers, but we were filming before we actually had our release fully executed. Um, that took quite a while, but not because there were negotiations. There were really none, and I think we actually, uh, but, but he just held out for a while, I think, you know, and, and, and eventually, I, I, knew he would, I knew he would sign it, but I think the people around him weren't thrilled about the film. Um, but no, there weren't, and he was, you know, I mean, Allison or could talk about... The stipulations were really from our side. Of course, you know, that we were saying you can't have any control, um, and that we were, you know, also asking for 
basically exclusive access in certainly in this capacity of for for filming. Um, uh, but I think that you know the one thing that he could control, even though it is like it wasn't on paper that we couldn't do X Y Z. But you know, as you see in the film, and I we made the effort to put it in the film so you see that I understand full access isn't like full access. It's, you know, it's kind of the same as any documentary film. I mean, it, it, what he allows me to film, I have to like, you know, worm my way in, figure out where he's going, what he's doing, ask to be able to film. Then the other people in the scenes have to also agree to be filmed. Um, and, you know, there were some meetings where I feel like, you know, he he asked me to film, which I looked with a big side eye, like, why does he, you know, what is it that he wants out of this? But, you know, I can film things and not put it in the movie, so I could film things even if I wasn't interested. Uh, there were some meetings where part of it happens and then he says, his way of telling me to leave was, did you get everything you need? Did you get everything you need? He would always say it like that. Um, and you know, then usually it was conversations about money and finances, um, that the you know the real, the real stuff. Uh, and then there were times like those, the lunch and dinner with the far right leaders of Europe, where I'm very proud of those because that was you know I was in that room from start to finish. You know, it wasn't like here's the preamble because Allison's here and then, you know, ask her to leave. You know, it was kind of all arranged and the access did get better over time as it, you know, typically does in these kinds of projects. And those leaders were fine with you being there as well? Yeah, um, to the very last moment, uh, I was I was ready to go in and I went to put the microphone on, on Bannon in his room because everyone was assembled um, except for Representative Paul Gosar, sitting congressman of Arizona, um, who, if you guys remember, he's the one, he won his reelection in the midterms. He's the one who famously, all five of his siblings campaigned for his opponent. Um, so he, he had, wasn't there yet, but I went up to put the microphone on Bannon because I think it was like a little less awkward if, you know, we didn't have to stop and put the microphone on. And he said, look, I can't do it, you know. Listen, I was ready to have you do it, but there's going to be a sitting congressman in this meeting. Like, you know, he's really, he's got to say yes or like, you know, this can't happen. And I was like really pissed because like that was my daily thing was trying to film interesting things. Um, but I waited outside the room and as he was walking in, one of Bannon's team um, asked Gosar, if he would agree to have, you know, we have a documentarian, you know, again, it was always made clear, you know, not that I didn't work for them, but, you know, she's been filming, she's interested in the populist movement, and, you know, you know, can she film? And he said, sure. And I, like, basically, like, emerged out of, like, nowhere, like, falling in formation behind them, um, and walked in, and Bannon was like, did he say yes? And I was like, yeah, he said yes. So then I was sort of introduced to the room and everyone said it was okay. Um, and then I filmed from start to finish. I took their group photo and then I asked them all to sign the release. Incredible. Um, another day at the office. Uh, I mean, what's so incredible about the film is the amount of nuance there is. And he is such a layered man. I mean, he's very self-aware of where he's going to look bad. I mean, there's so many scenes where he's saying, oh, you're going to slay me in this film. You're going to look bad. Yet he doesn't tell you to cut anything out. And he doesn't have any creative control over the film. And I was wondering, Maria Therese, like, how is your relationship with him after filming started? It's one thing to get somebody to agree to a film. But then as Allison's there and this whole film is taking this new turn and they're in Europe, and there's other national leaders, like, were there any other communications between you and him where well, he yeah, might have expressed? I was expressed communicating with him all the time, pretty much, because um, 
you know, there were always, I mean, Allison and I were communicating all the time, and there would be times when, let's say, Allison, you know, was having trouble getting in someplace, or he was, or just he wasn't, either not letting her or just no one, the people around him weren't letting her in or there were, you know, where we would discuss kind of his upcoming schedule and what he was going to, because it was changing every day. So I had to, you know, I was in touch with him constantly. Um, you know, I, it was, uh, I was very transparent. I, I mean, I still, <laughs> I was still, you know, saying scathing things about what he was doing, which was probably very unprofessional of me as a producer, but I was, I couldn't help it. Um, but uh, no, I mean, you know, it's complicated. He's 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 complicated. I can you know it's I can only explain it as if like some, when I knew him he was a Republican and he was what I considered at the time like like a fairly moderate Republican. I, I didn't see any of these. I mean any of the these particularly more extreme views in him at the time, and he didn't express them openly. And so um, I had to kind of go through my own journey is a cheesy word, but of you know kind of getting to know like the new in some ways the new old Steve which was, you know, painful, honestly, in some ways, um, and uh, interesting. And the, the, best, the, the best feeling I have is watching the film is that, you know, Allison and I spoke a lot about, you know, certainly moral issues and ethical issues, but, but we never really spoke that much about him. Um, and I also felt really strongly that Allison really had to have her own experience of him. I, mean, I, didn't, I really went to very few shoots, I was only there maybe two or three times. I kept my own relationship with him uh, separately, but I knew she had to. Yeah. She really gave me, sp I mean, everything we're talking about now where we sound very in sync, this is all our like new, because now we talk about the film and give interviews and certainly things we talked about in, in the edit as it was you know coming to a close, but she really gave me so much space. I didn't go in with Marie Therese's impression of him. I really went in like, who is this guy? I'm gonna find out. And I, you know, I now see or I could see from the meme, but that was very intentional on her part too. Like this wasn't, you know, I, I think it was probably relieving that some of the things that emerge in this, as thank you, as you said, nuanced film. I mean that I think that thing of him being both capable of incredible self-awareness and having these moments where he's totally revealing himself in ways that you just you at least I felt like he didn't know, you know, he was revealing himself in so many little ways. You know, I think that um I think all those things that I was seeing and that I put into the edit, you know, were matched with how Marie Therese had, you know, knew him. And Allison, you were doing this alone. You were both camera and sound and directing, like you were a one-woman show. So for 13 months, embedded mm -hmm. with him. We can clap for that. <laughs> let's, let's seriously clap for that. Thank and I, I also want to highlight, you're in these rooms that are predominantly male. So I'd love you to speak a little bit about both the challenges of being a solo team on all those fronts and also whether or not it might not have been, was it an advantage or a disadvantage at times to be in these all-male environments as a female director? I, I thought it was, or I, I viewed it as a, an advantage. Um, certainly to be a one-person crew, I just think you can't, it's, it's always hard enough. I mean, I felt this way about Ai Weiwei. I think this is just true of access in general. Like being one person, the ask to like, be there and be included and be in the room. It's just so much easier if it's just you. It's just, you know, and trying to have this small footprint. Today I put on Instagram, if you guys want to look, it's at Allie Clay, but I put a picture, it's like one of the few pictures of me during a shoot and Marie Therese took it because she was there. It was on the Upper East Side. It was that, you know, one of the midterm kind of events, but you know, it's me and a really big fanny pack and, uh, you know, the camera on a monopod. 
Um, and I always like wore all black and I kind of had, you know, I was definitely not there, you know, with a false persona, but I put on, especially for this project, you know, it was a little bit like the, the armor, right? And I really tried to just be like this person who's like always there, like all in black, pretty quiet, trying to be agreeable. Uh, my main question every day is just like, can I come? <laughs> when can I go in? Everybody just knew I like really wanted the access uh, just because I wanted to be in the room and rolling and tried to roll nonstop, have enough cards so that I downloaded it, you know, for better or worse, like, you know, at night um, because it, the days were just too unpredictable and try to be someone who can move and carry all your stuff without like, you know, anybody's help. Um, and I think, you know, I think that sometimes being a woman or maybe, and also maybe being, uh, you know, appearing on the, you know, younger side sometimes then, although there were like a fair number of people there, you know, like Raheem's a little bit younger than me, but you know, uh, often it was also older people, you know, you just, I don't really know that I like leaned into anything, but I, I did, like I said in the intro, kind of hope that there was like a level of underestimation, which I think makes sense. Like I'm just one person with a camera and a monopod, like what what am I even doing? You know, like and I think if you're there long enough, the like what you're doing just becomes even harder to to discern if you're just there a lot. Well I also appreciated when you did interject questions that were great conversations and I felt a rapport between the two of you. I felt that he looked to you as somebody he could talk to. And I wonder, like, your own politics, neither, I mean, Marie Tress, you clearly don't hide your politics. Allison, I don't know if you and him did have more political conversations, but how is it to navigate trying to be a full-on observer versus trying to, you know, challenge somebody, especially when you're watching them give these same lines every single day? And I think partly, you know, partly why, you know, in the film, you hear my voice a bit more as time goes on and that both mirrors the relationship itself. Also, that was also on purpose because one thing, one of the things I, you know, observed of him from the day one, as he would say, is like, I, part of that don't ever underestimate him was like he, when he comes to the, you know, when it, when it comes to debating, you know, he is, he is full on, it is like combat and it's gonna be, Frankly, I think not in good faith. He's going to change the topic. He's going to, you know, throw a different set of, you know, facts and figures, whether or not it's distort distorted. And I, from the first day, I was like, wow, I need to like watch this guy for a while. I wasn't. I mean, the format of the film wasn't for me to spar with him. You know, that wasn't the 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 way the format was kind of structured, but especially because of who he was, I was like, I want to watch him talk to a lot of people. And it did get to the point where I, I could finish a lot of his sentences. You know, he kind of has a stump speech. You're a rose between two thorns <laughs> <Yeah>. right now. <laughs> I, you know, early on when we were talking about how do you convey also some of the things, you know, how do you deal with someone like that who might be saying things that, you know, are, um, our distortions or, you know, it, you know, how do you do all that? I remember in early conversations, I was like, well, I think we'll be able to use repetition. I think we'll be able to use, you know, juxtaposition. The order in which you put things can say a lot, even if we're not, you know, bringing in a talking head to tell you, this is what he's doing here. Like, I think you can invite the audience to, to think about things just based on what choices are made in what you include in the film and where you put it. Um, but yeah, in any case, I just, I did feel like I wanted to 
it would be, I would fare better if I watched him for a long time. I also wanted to, that release to get signed. He knew what my, you know, he knew that my orientation, I think the way Marie Trez introduced me was like, this is Allison, she's Jewish, she's a granddaughter of Holocaust survivors. Like, it was very clear that my politics were left and he would always call me his like, commie lefty, brown university filmmaker, or brown filmmaker, whatever. Um, but, you know, I, I think as time went on, yeah, like the little bits you hear, those are, there are like hours of conversations that we had, especially by the end. Um, but it wasn't so much for me to like, again, for me necessarily to get my licks, it was sort of like where I felt like I didn't have anyone else saying something because I was always preferred if someone else would do the work in front of the camera. Like the Paul Lewis scene obviously is great and you know, it's better that it comes from two characters in front of the camera. Um, but also, I feel like, um, f for me, it was really about trying to see if I would get something new out of him. So a lot of like what I would say, too, was like just trying to see, okay, if I say this, if I challenge him this way, like, is he going to give me something new? Like, it was just, you know, we would have hours on a plane, or we'd have, you know, 30 minutes in between interviews, and, you know, I would just try to see what, what I would get that felt new or, you know, different. The thing about the cultural like, you know, who does identity politics. I would say that to me was more like, I mean, honestly, that moment and, you know, the the globalist sort of line in the car. I mean, those were maybe a little bit cathartic where I was just like, it bugs me that, you know, this needs to be said right now. Um, but yeah, you know, some of it was just trying to see if I would learn anything new about him or get a different performance out of him depending how I approached him. And how did your feelings about him change? A question for both of you, if they even changed throughout the process. Uh, I would say for me, I, you know, I, I, I used to joke when I, when I knew him many years ago, because of his interests and his some of his hobbies, and I would say, uh, I would say, you know, come on, like, like I know you're a closet liberal. Because you know, many of his interests, many of the things he talks about are not things we associate necessarily with people on the right, let alone the far right. And he would always say, like, shh, don't tell anyone. And it was actually kind of believable, right? I mean, I, I and I would say I, I would not say that now. Um, I, <laughs> I think that um, you know, people ask the question, which is maybe you were planning to already ask, so maybe I'm jumping the gun, but people always ask us, you know, is he really a racist? Is he really, you know, anti-Semitic? Or do you think he's just an opportunist? And that was, I would say, for me personally, making this film, those were those were big questions looming over me. They were painful questions. Um, it's not it's not pleasant to to think of someone that you knew well and actually liked in some ways, being you know being those things. And I think the conclusion I reached is that it doesn't matter what you know what he he believes in his heart. I don't know. Um, I just look at the actions and I look at you know the people he works with and and the ideology that he promotes um, and what he's you know ev every day working to 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 fuel and the policies and et cetera and, and to me those you know that's the answer um, and I think that that's the conclusion I came to and, and I I really think that you know so that that was. Um, but I, you know, when I look at the film, when I saw the very first assembly, I, one of the things I felt good about is I felt like that's the person I know. You know, um, it's not every single last, but it's um, it's very fair, which was also important to me um, because I, you know, I, not just about because it was about him, but I really believe that we're living in a moment where there's no, you know, gray area. Everything is black and white, and we want to see people in one way. And like, what if someone is doing really, really bad shit, but is actually not? 
you know, this, this constantly like fire breathing maniac, but actually has some qualities that, you know, you might like, or you might like if he was sitting next to you, that's actually scarier. Uh, I, I really believe that. And I think that's why we want to make people into supervillains. It's a lot less frightening because then we think maybe there's one of them or two of them, but you know, this guy could be, you know, anyone that you meet. And, uh, so yeah, sorry, that was a, probably a rambling answer to that question, but you know, I, I would say he's, he's still the same person in terms of his personality, but I do think his views have, have really evolved and, and are some of, the, you know, I think in some areas he's a true believer. And Allison, same question for you after 13 months of being with him day in, day out. I mean, I really look at it more as like I was filling in the portrait the whole time um, because look, I came in with views about you know, the policies, the Trump administration, Breitbart News. I didn't see anything that made me change how I felt about, you know, the the morality, what's good for the country, what's the right side of history. Like, look, I'm I'm a person, I'm a I'm a filmmaker, artist, I who's also a citizen of this country. I have my politics, I bring them to this film. Um, and I didn't you know, I didn't encounter anything that caused me to change those beliefs. But I didn't know Steve Bannon at all. So this was like, I feel like, and I believe that's what I do in, in doing this kind of work. It's like you come in and you're really like, I am an open book. Show me who you are. Um, so I feel like it was, you know, it's all like the construction of this, of this image, which then is my job to put on screen for people. And has he seen the film or any of his team seen the film? And what were their thoughts? Um, he's seen, I showed him the film right before Sundance. And um, I think that, you know, it's a strange thing when someone's been following you for a year to watch yourself on screen like that. And I think he was, it was a little distracting. It, he only saw it once. Um, and he was, you know, he wasn't particularly vocal during the screening. It wasn't very clear. I don't know if it was intentional, if he, you know, he didn't seem to hate it, didn't seem to love it. Um, and, but then, you know, we were in, in, in close touch very often there were a lot of things I needed to talk, talk to him about, ask him about, tell him. And then um, once the reviews came out during Sundance and in an interview that I did, he, he cut me off and stopped talking to me. So I, I, you know, I extrapolate from that what he thinks about the movie right now, but you know, he hasn't told me or spoken to me. So what was Steve Bannon's motive to appear in the movie? An audience member put that question to Allison. I don't know that, you know, I know any better than the evidence that I tried to put in this film because I don't know that he, you know, he's always performing, he's calibrating the answers. I think that there's a mixture of um, opportunism and, you know, seeking his own status, fame, and, you know, financial gain. I think that that is evidenced by um, the way he uses the media, which I don't think is just about getting some sort of message out. I think it's also it's important for him. You know, why would he let this film, you know, be made? Why would he let multiple films be made about him? You know, he sees himself as a, you know, he believes in the great man version of history and he is one of those great men. And, um, you know, his activities are all funded by billionaires. Uh, you know, the people he spends time with as he talks about being for the little guy, are billionaires, you know, he's a millionaire funded by billionaires. So I, you know, I also look at his policies. I personally don't believe that they map out uh, 
uh, a path to a better life for the average person or for the people that are hurting in various ways economically, uh, you know, in terms, you know, I think there's much more direct ways to help people like healthcare and minimum wage and regulating corporations. These are not things he believes in. Uh, so when you also see who he spends time with and how he spends his time, I think it's really clear who he's carrying water for. I think it's also really clear that the super rich are not threatened by him, even though he acts like he's, you know, coming up against them. Um, so, so to me, I'm inferring what his ultimate goals are, you know, from that. I also think there is some ideology that he holds, and I think that's evidenced by when he gets, you know, in the room with these far-right leaders and they talk about, they worry about birth rates, you know, and of Islamic people coming to Europe, and he talks about, you know, the Judeo-Christian West, and which is, you know, so, so to me, there are some things that are in there that matter, but, you know, I think it's somehow, it's like a mixture of all that and I just really tried to put in what I think are the, the clues in, in the film. I want to thank director Allison Clayman and producer Marie-Therese Gierkes for joining us. Their film, The Brink, is now playing in theaters, distributed by Magnolia Pictures. Thanks to Pure Nonfiction's executive producer, Rafaela Nehausen, for hosting. Here in New York City, please join us on Tuesday nights for Pure Nonfiction at IFC Center. Our spring season starts on April 9th and runs through the end of May. Each Tuesday, we show a documentary followed by a conversation with the filmmakers or other special guests. You can get more information on our website. Thanks to our team, series producer Hannah Nordenswan and web designer Cross Strategy. Our theme music is composed by Andre Williams, who passed away last month at age 82. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Pure Nonfiction. I'm Tom Powers. You can follow me on Twitter at THOM Powers. Pure Nonfiction is distributed by the TIFF Podcast Network. You can read our show notes, learn about live events, and sign up for our newsletter at purenonfiction.net.